Welcome back to another episode of Gift of, A Gift from Adversity. My name is Jay Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 87, and we have a wonderful guest. But before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity by Jerry Love. You can purchase it on Amazon. And A Gift from Adversity's subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I shared my story on this book, A Gift from Adversity, in 2020, I've got a lot of messages from all over the world and also some friends who I had no idea that they are also victim of these adversities. And as a journalist and TV film producer, I felt really compelled at the beginning of this year, 2022, to start a podcast where people can share their adversities. But not only that, Tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So, today we're excited to have another guest. Hi, Tal, how are you doing? Hi, good. Thank you for having me. So nice to be here. Absolutely. So, Tal, let's start from introducing yourself. Can you tell our audience who you are, where you're coming in from, and what you do? And if you have a website or social media that you want to share. Sure. So my name is Tal Mandelbaum. Um, by training, I'm a social psychologist. And for the past maybe 20 years, I've been on a spiritual path um, seeking answers that go beyond science uh, and ancient wisdom. Uh, and today I teach everything that I've learned uh, as it pertains to our spiritual development, spiritual relationships, finding real happiness, and so on. I'm also a mom of two. Uh, I live in Israel. I've also been a host of um, some spiritual shows here on Israeli TV. Uh, yeah, and um, I have a course called The Shift that is going live soon and talks all about how we can all make a consciousness shift to take us to the new world that is now coming about in our world. And then what is your social, website or social media that people can find more about you? Yeah, so I'm pretty active on Instagram. If you want to come say hi, it's tal.mandelbaum on Instagram. Uh, my website is choosingtoconnect.com. You can find me there. I'm on Facebook. So all those channels. Choosing, can you say that website again? Choosing? Choosing to connect. Dot com. That's my website. Got it. Great. Thank you so much. So let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience what was your adversity? Yeah, so I was really um, glad to be able to share here because I think this topic of adversity is, is so relevant to our growth. And for me, um, the biggest shift in my life happened thanks to or because of an illness that I experienced in my early 20s. Um, I was a very, very busy 
person at 22 years old. I was doing my first degree in psychology. I was uh, active in politics and volunteering and wanting to do great things to help the world. And then I started to experience a pain, uh, a mysterious pain in, in my leg or hip. Um, and I was um, very physically active. I was pushing myself really hard in all kinds of ways also to be thinner and to be more fit and everything our culture really pressures us with. And so when this pain came along, uh, my immediate reaction was kind of to make it go away. And so I started taking um, pain medication, you know, and that enabled me to carry through uh, for a long time with this pain because every time it would come, I would sedate <laughs> the pain, not feel it. And I would just pull through. I was also going to doctors and they didn't really know. They thought it was a sports injury. They told me, you know, it's going to pass. You're a young person. You're an athlete. It's just some sort of inflammation or something like that. And so I just kind of continued with this, with the blinders on, not really knowing what it was. But the, the pain, like a messenger, it kept coming back. And then I had to use more, you know, more Advils and more and stronger pain medication. And, and I just, it's like I wasn't listening to it and just kept coming back stronger and stronger. And I tried new doctors and they didn't know what it was. Um, my family doctor kept telling me, it's nothing. Maybe you're sleeping in a bad position or for some reason, like doctors just didn't know. Um, and what I remember is that I just kept trying to push forward with my life the way that I thought it should be with my politics career and with my studies and with my volunteering and all that stuff. And the pain kept getting stronger. And for two years, I was suffering with this pain. It was just, and it kept getting stronger and stronger until finally I could not walk anymore. It was that strong. I started limping. I couldn't walk anymore. And, and that's where everybody kind of understood that there was something really serious going on. And, and basically my life came to a halt in that moment. So I had to listen. At that point, I had to listen to the pain. Uh, and it was my parents. They were trying to help me to get a diagnosis for this thing because no doctor was diagnosing me correctly at the time. And finally, I guess they understood how serious it was. So they found an oncologist um, in, in a, at a hospital who took a look at the x-rays, who took a look at my, you know, all the tests. And he was like, okay, it's bone cancer. Um, and it was, it was pretty big by then because it wasn't getting treated. It wasn't getting diagnosed. And so <laughs> that was very, very uh, dramatic because I'd been like repressing. I didn't even think or imagine that it could be anything like that. This kind of thought was never in my, um, sphere of imagination. It wasn't in my environment at all, you know, this sort of illness. And so it was really, really surprising, um, but it started uh, a new a new era, I would say, in my life. Yeah, so I could say more, but let me know if, if you want to ask me anything. So you were 20 when you started this pain. So 22. then when you got diagnosed, were you like 22, 23? I was 22 when it started, and then I was 24 when I got the diagnosis. Yeah, right at the beginning, I guess, of life, right at the beginning of my young adulthood. So when you got diagnosed with the bone cancer, what happened? 
So it was it was really shocking. Um, I should also say that during those two years, uh, as I was really suffering, I was also I started searching for answers in holistic medicine because I didn't get answers from conservative medicine. Nobody really knew. And um, I started looking for answers in mind-body therapies, trying to figure out why my body was doing this. What was it about my thinking, my, you know, my, my psychology or something deeper that was causing it? And this really opened me up to looking outside the box for solutions. Um, I, was, I came from a very academic home, very scientific home, so I wasn't exposed to a lot of these things. So this was a time that really opened me up to searching for answers that were outside of this kind of box. Uh, and then when I got the diagnosis, what I, first of all, I was, I was shocked. I was shaking. I remember I was sitting there in the doctor's office and everything seemed really surreal, really surreal. I felt like I was in a dream <laughs> and I really wanted to wake up. I was like, no, this, this can't be happening. This doesn't make sense. This can't be real. Um, and there was a kind of density in, in that moment that really made me feel that this was a strange dream. Um, and basically, I, I just told my parents, you know, well, I'll, I'll see you guys in the next life, something like that, in the in the next incarnation, because it, death felt very imminent, um, and I was very shocked. And my mom just kept saying, "We'll get through this. We'll get through it together." And she had this emphasis on, "We're we're going to do this together." Um, but I I was very scared. But at the same time, like I'm saying, I remembered I had this sensation that there was something about reality that even though I was very scared and it seemed very deterministic and very dark, there was this little point of consciousness within me that felt that there was something here that was guiding me. There was something that was leading me because in these two years of pain that I was experiencing, I did start getting signs and like serendipitous you know, events happening that made me feel like Things were happening for a reason. Like there's something guiding me. There's something beyond what I see and feel that is bigger than that. So even in, in the, on that day of the diagnosis, I remember seeing these signs, seeing these little reminders of kind of like hopeful signs saying, you know, there is something happening here that is organized. There's some order here. This There is a purpose behind it. So I was still very terrified, but there was that little point of consciousness in there. And what kind of treatment did you receive? Yeah, so I, I had to go through the whole shebang, <laughs> the whole thing, the, the chemotherapy for a year and a half and, and a big operation that caused disability, uh, radiation therapy, the whole thing. Um, it was very, very tough and a very long time to, to be undergoing treatments, it seemed like forever. And, and in a way, this enabled a, a very big transformation because I had a long time <laughs> to go through it and to suffer through it and to go through the change that I was beginning to undergo. So you were in Israel. Yes. The whole time and then getting treated. I was actually treated no. at a children's hospital, by the way. It was, One more time. I was actually treated as, as a children's hospital uh, because it was an illness that is often uh, diagnosed in children. So that was wow. just, yeah. 
Why? Wow, I said, wow, that's... Oh, wow. You're 24, but you were treated at the children's hospital. Yeah. Wow. Um, so just to share a little bit with you that my paternal grandfather had a bladder cancer and then it spread to bone cancer mm -hmm. later on. And then I think it was his knee. Now I remember I was I was a kid, but then I was remembering like he was in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. What part of the bone that you are diagnosed for the cancer? It was a pelvis, pelvis bone. Ooh. So mm -hmm. you were experiencing this pain that you're not really going to seek the correct diagnosis for two years and then you start to limping, then you start to limp. And then you start to have more pain as it went severe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about other symptoms like throwing up or like an other, um, rather than pain, like what were you experiencing in terms of pain? I don't remember much. I, I really just remember the pain being uh, excruciating and, and just um, like I said, I just, I couldn't live like that anymore. I really remember I was feeling so much suffering. I had this question in me of like, why all this suffering? What is the purpose of suffering? I, you know, I, I had this book, a Buddhist book about suffering. I, I don't remember the name. It's a famous book, but I, I was really asking that question because suffering was very, very uh, strong in my experience at the time. It's very, very hard to live with pain, especially such pain. So I remember um, I did have a Buddhist education at the time, I was studying uh, Vipassana and, and my teacher, he said something about pain being a great teacher and showing us um, that when you experience that, you know, your, your desires from life become very simple. Like all you want is to be pain-free. And, you, and I remember looking at people walking down the street and think, oh, they're so lucky. They can walk. Uh, they're pain-free, you know, and, and your expectations from life become so simple and, and so um, small. You know, you don't care about big things. You don't care about money and success. And, you know, you just want to be pain-free. You just want to, you know, exist in a way that is comfortable. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's a very... Um, tantalizing dramatic kind of experience that gives you perspective on life so tal thank you so much for sharing it first of all i'm a journalist as i mentioned um i actually interviewed somebody who was diagnosed with leukemia at age um in early 20s and it's just so devastating, whatever the age you are in, um, first of all, to be diagnosed with the cancer, that's just so scary. Mm -hmm. And at such a young age, when you are life, adult life is just about be starting. And like, do you remember your mental health stage? Like when you were diagnosed in that final diagnose at age 24, when you are like really trying to blossom into your adulthood life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was extremely anxious. I think that's 
just the word for it. I was just very anxious. I just felt like, you know, I didn't feel safe in my body and I just needed a solution. I felt like I have to find a solution. I have to feel safe. I have to feel like there's something I can hold on to, something I can trust. Um, and yeah, I was, I was seeking for that sense of safety and, and hope because uh, I, I didn't feel... I didn't feel like I had that. I was trying to lean on different people around me, but there wasn't really, um, they didn't have, you know, the power to, to the, the solutions to give me. Uh, and then you said I shouldn't talk about this right at the start, but there was one conversation that I remember specifically that helped me with that mental state. I was sitting at a cafe with a friend who was being supportive at the time and he was already in a spiritual uh, search of his own doing spiritual work and i remember and and we had a lot of conversations about spirituality in the past and when i got the diagnosis he was there kind of to help me and he invited me to a cafe one day and we sat there together and i was still in my you know very anxious kind of mood and he said i don't remember the whole conversation but i remember these few words that he said uh, he said something like, well, now you're going to have to be enlightened. You know, that's it. Now you're going to have, this is going to push you to enlightenment. And I just remember something switched in my mind, just thinking about that. This what's happening to me now. Maybe it's going to help me somehow. Maybe it's actually going to be something that helps me achieve the thing that I want most. Because at the time, like I said, I was very much into this sort of thing. And I was, thanks to what he said, I was suddenly able to feel there was a purpose to the suffering. There was a purpose to the pain. And I could look at it from that perspective. And I think this made a shift in my anxiety. This this kind of perspective helped me a lot with my um, mental state. But thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, let's talk about it a little bit later. But before that, did you have... Um, when you are in a treatment, um, did you like right? Did you have like a lot of good support, or did you feel more isolated because you're so young? And then a lot of I'm sure like your friends were healthy and working and stuff. Like for instance, when I was in Japan, and then I became homeless when I was 18, and I had this jealousy and anger and comparison to the same age friends who are in college who are full support with parents where I was homeless and had to work a lot. So when you are in undergo treatment and then couldn't do what you wanted to do and then maybe had this maybe looking at other friends around you, like do you remember those kind of feelings? Um there were a number of friends who were very supportive, but my family and my siblings were mainly there. Uh, and I had so much support for my close family that I don't remember lacking anything else. Uh, and, and this was a very big part of my process of healing. I did feel that their love and their support was so important to that. Um, they, like at the hospital, they called me the girl with the brothers because my two brothers were always there and they're kind of loud and, and they would, 
use humor to kind of help me through the hardship. And so they, they had a big presence there. <laughs> and so everybody called me the girl with the brothers. And it, and it, I admit that this is a, such an important part, I think, of, of going through any hardship, having support. Um, I did have friends come and visit me, not often, but yeah, there were, I remember those visits. Um, yeah, some, some friends called, but it was mostly my family that helped me through. And then there was also some uh, therapist that I saw. I didn't go to a psychologist, but I did have uh, a guided imagery therapist that helped me and acupuncture uh, that I did, shiatsu. And these people were also supportive figures that were helping me not just physically, but emotionally, cognitively. Um, yeah, so I remember these, these figures around me that felt supportive. I remember one time I was I was lying on the bed uh, getting acupuncture and I, I had this feeling like I had to do a visualization and I just was lying there and I started picturing all these people who love me and support me standing around me and just visualizing that and trying to feel their love. And that was a big part of my healing process to feel the love from people around me even if they weren't there physically, just to make their presence in my heart felt. Um, yeah, so that was a big part of it. Well, thank you, Tal. And you said you had to go to do the surgery too? Yes. I didn't. Well, they recommended it. <laughs> I had a big kind of um, debate within myself whether I should or shouldn't. It was a very hard decision to make for me. But, but yeah, I did. So it was a pelvis bone surgery? Yeah, yeah, it was a surgery to remove that part of the pelvis that was affected. Oh, geez. Oh, my God, That's, that sounds awful. Yeah, there were a lot of awful moments <laughs> in those. I mean, modern medicine can be so barbaric. I, I mean, and I kept asking my dad questions like, why is it like, you know, why is it so stupid? Why do they have to do this? And why do, why does chemotherapy have to like affect your whole body? Can't they like target the specific cells? And I had all these frustrations around how, you know, medicine can be so, um, you know, so, so unprecise and, and really difficult on the body. And, and like, it seemed not intelligent to me. You know, they didn't really know. They're like, we have to take out this this big piece of your bone because we think it will increase your chances of survival. But we don't really know. It's all statistics, right? It's all a matter of chance. I was very frustrated, but I didn't really have um, much choice. It was the only, you know, real option that I had. And then with the operation, I, I went through a, a long process of discernment within me whether I was going to do it and... And finally, I came to the decision that I would. I, I went for it. Yeah, but it was, um, to, I mean, to this day, it's affected my life. How did it affect your life? It's just caused a disability. It's, it, it caused a, a disbalance in my body because, you know, without this big part of the pelvis, there's an imbalance in the body and affected the, the hip joint. And so I have a walking disability. So I, I have like a, a big, strong memoir <laughs> from, from this experience that lingers and, and continues to remind me every day 
of what's truly important to me. So do you have to um, like use a device or a wheelchair to move around? I have a cane, uh, which I use, yeah. Wow. Um, do you mind to share your age? Like how long was it ago that you have, you're dealing with? I'm 40 right now. So yeah, it's been 16 years, something like that. But now you're cancer free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It took uh, many years for that to be a given because for at least 10 years after you still have to keep coming back for checkups and so on. So if you can imagine for 10 years, I didn't really know if I was going to survive or not. I just kept having that fear, kind of like a cloud above my head. Um, so this has been an incredible motivation for my spiritual path, for my spiritual uh, evolution, because most of us, you know, we we don't think about death. We try, We repress it. And when something like that happens, you can't repress it. You can't uh, not think that you are transient, you have a short time to live. And, and this is a very, it's actually a very great help if you think about it from a spiritual perspective, because you have to find, uh, to connect to that which is beyond your body. And, and again, this is a, a huge part in, in my mental well-being throughout this process, because without that, and I saw a lot of people in the hospital that didn't have this perspective and they were either um, very mentally unwell or they were just sleeping. They were just sleeping throughout it because that was their way of coping. And I found that having a spiritual perspective was my only way of going through something like that uh, and still having hope and still having strength and still having a positive mindset. Yes. So Tal, uh, before we shift our question, I have a, um, the second question, which is the tools. Um, I want to ask you a question about doctors in Israel and then the medical system in Israel, because I grew up in Japan and I lived half my life in America. So the Japanese medical system, when I experienced my surgery at age 20 for my thyroid disease, I wrote it in my book that the doctor was really abusive and then harassing me a lot and then told me so many awful things. For instance, I had a thyroid removal surgery and I had to be awake. I had to be part anesthesia and because they said there's a vocal cord underneath, I had to say mm -hmm. off when they are cutting me open and it was so traumatic. But prior mm -hmm. to that, the doctor said, that, oh, you are going to have a scar on your neck. You might not have a child because you might have to go on a radiation. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you, I don't think you're going to find a husband. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. And then when I was hiring a surgery, um, I think one of the doctors was trying to teach another doctor how to operate me, how mm -hmm. to do a meal, and accusing him of not studying well. So that's why patient is suffering more or something. How is the patient doctor power trip of dynamics? Were they equal? Were they respectful to you? 
or did you feel supported by the doctors and nurses at the hospital? Yeah, I think it's a problem worldwide. Um, I mean, there's different doctors, obviously, different personalities. So I had different experiences with different doctors. I had similar experiences with doctors who were so full of themselves and very, very serious and very, um, like I tried to be funny at one time. I was, um, anyway, I tried to be funny and the doctor got really offended. I thought, you know, that's disrespectful to me. And I was in such a vulnerable situation there and so scared, you know. And so do some doctors have no um, sense of compassion and, and just, kind of emotional intelligence. And I think that's all, all over the world. It's it's true. Um, and I think this is lacking from the medical um, from the medical field. There are some doctors that are more conscious of that, that treating a person is not just like about mechanics of their body, but a more holistic approach of the psychology and 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 the trust and the, like the, the the relationship there is important too. So, yeah, I, I, I think there were some doctors that are, are a little more advanced, but in general, I, I can really relate to, to what you're describing. I think in, in general, this is what bothered me about modern medicine. It really does treat you kind of like a, a, some sort of machine, like your body's a machine. Everything's about statistics. It's all kind of cold, rational. Uh, you know, they give you your chances. Um the, the, the doctor who operated on me, I remember he really tried, he really tried to be um, like to give me a, a supportive uh, kind of diagnosis. And he, he really tried. He said something like, well, your chances of getting killed in a car accident are so much greater than getting this illness. Or I think he was really trying hard to make me feel better, <laughs> but he wasn't really successful. Um, it's not part of the training, I guess. They don't choose doctors according to their sensitivity or, you know, doctors, they have to be very, have good brains from or memories. They have to be very um, good students, get good grades, not a lot about the emotional intelligence in there. But uh, thankfully in Israel, they do have more uh, awareness of alternative medicine. So there were more like alternative medicine practitioners in the hospital. So they were kind of compensating for some of that. Um, and again, I was doing my own search for alternative healing methods, and I was bringing in um, my emotional and spiritual tools to help me. And, and maybe it was the dichotomy between modern medicine and how cold and, and, and secular and like how much it lacks warmth and, and higher meaning. And, and like, a, like you're saying, it doesn't treat you as a person, it just treats you as, as some sort of body like a machine that bothered me so much that it kind of forced me to seek the alternative and and the complementation for that in other places and and complete my healing process with other things but thank you so much for sharing that i remember one time now it reminded me of the incident so i had nearly death experience by miscarriage, my second miscarriage, losing so much blood in the bathroom. And I was calling uncle doctor, trying to explain the gush of blood that was coming out. And then um, I had to do blood transfusion. Like my um, blood pressure was 60 when the EMT got there, I was in the shock stage already. So then um, 
later on when i followed up with my pcp at that time and i explained it to her and then she said well maybe they didn't understand it english mm -hmm. so i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> i'm like wow so i kind of reported her for um I almost like racial comment because I'm Asian or whatever, but I, I think I was communicating fine. I think the doctor just didn't see how serious it was, especially mm -hmm. when But anyways, emotional intelligence, it's just so interesting what you said about getting good grade and then becoming a doctor. And then that's really what it is um, in the medical field that you have to be super smart, like valedictorian or whatever, the scholarship. And then like I have met many intelligent people in my life and then they're pursuing to be a doctor or, you know, uh, doctors. And then I only met one person um, actually was interesting because um, he had a leukemia when he was a kid. And mm -hmm. then he said he remembered when he got diagnosed, he was so devastated. And then the way that doctor delivered, it was very cold. Mm -hmm. and devastating and so now he became a doctor an oncology doctor and then trying to uh, treat the cancer and doing like really um, cutting-edge research and he said something really powerful that every time that he sees the kids with the cancer the first thing that he said is I'm a survivor I went through the same mm -hmm. and then that lifts people's face up including parents obviously that's like the worst news that you can ever deliver mm -hmm. so he said he would never miss sharing his life story when he delivers this news yeah working together so i'm very happy that you are opening up to talk about this because it's such a big topic and then fear about cancer and mm -hmm. then um yeah people don't talk much details about like what happened and what happened so now are you feeling okay in what in physically physically mentally are you feeling okay that after you went through this like 20 when you are 24 and then going mm. you're feeling yeah like, well feeling my so like I was saying at the beginning, this was a, the transformation in my life that brought me to where I am today. And if I, I suppose that if I hadn't had such a strong shock, like I said, that literally stopped me in my tracks, I would just have continued my life on the same path that I was on. And I guess it's kind of an allegory for our world today. You know how our world will we see how people will continue doing the same thing, even if it's, you know, destroying the world. We're hearing scientists say the climate, you know, we're, we're going to be destroying the, the, the climate, the, the planet. We're, we're not going to have any natural resources, soon. but nobody can stop because we're on this path and we can't stop. So I guess it's the same for me. I was on my path of success, according to what society was telling me, not in touch with myself, not in touch with my truth, not knowing who I truly am or what my soul is or what it is, what my highest purpose is here, what why we're here. And I needed something so dramatic and so, you know, tantalizing and transformative to really shift the tracks of my life. And since I had that understanding that 
that is why it was happening to me. And I was also finding the answers and finding um, the teachers that would help me develop my spiritual self. I really see it as that. That is what it was. It was a push from the universe, from spirit, to the development that I was supposed to undergo um, and into a whole new way of living, a whole new way of being, a whole new way of uh, feeling and in using my life and using my time. So today I can value that as difficult as it was even now, you know, it still is hard on me because of the, um, the handicap, but I can value what I experienced and know that if I hadn't gone through that, I would have probably wasted my life. Even if I had been a successful, I don't know, psychologist or even politician, I wouldn't have had the sensitivity and, and the um, ability to perceive what I perceive through, thanks to that experience. So do I feel good? I am thankful. I, I truly have gratitude for what I was shown and for the change that I had undergone thanks to that. And at the same time, I wish that other people or all of us, we can save those sufferings and don't have to go through the lessons in that sort of way that we can open our ears to what nature and spirit, the universe wants to tell us without, you know, without having to have something so dramatic really change our course. Um, and this is a very big spiritual truth that we have a choice. We can, we, we have to get to our higher levels of being and, and development. You know, that's already a given. We, we were created to achieve something much higher um, than we are, but we can choose how it happens. If we listen, if we are open to the message messages, if we willingly grow, then it happens much more smoothly and easily. But if for some reason we are late and, you know, we're like a child that doesn't want to listen to their mother, then the punishments become more and more, or the pressure, the pressure becomes more strong until we listen. So it's kind of like a, a bigger truth about our human condition. Well, thank you so much for that. So let's shift to number two, which is um, tools that you use to overcome. And you shared a lot like you know, during the part of the interview, but if you can reinforce what yeah. really worked, the tools that you used. I know you did acupuncture, visualization, yeah. shiatsu, like when you are at the hospital, but for your challenge in adversity, what is the best tool that you can share with the audience that really worked? Yeah. So the way I see it, there are different levels of healing. So we have the physical level, we have the emotional and cognitive level, and then there's the spiritual level. So I think we have to have support on all of these levels. Um, and like you said, so on the physical level, I'll start from that because it's maybe the, the most simple. Um, it has to do with um, eating what you like to eat, eating what feels good to you, eating what feels is healthy for you. And then um, there's a lot here. Um, like you were saying, so acupuncture and, and, and massage, touch, this was very helpful for me. Um, these things that 
make us feel supported, make us feel loved. There's a very big component, I think, in healing that has to do with being in a positive state of mind, um, feeling good, feeling happy. Um, some Actually, some people get... Um, you know, depression pills, the doctors will give serotonin to people. So just so their mood improves, because they understand how that affects the immune system. So anything you can do to feel good. And I remember, uh, I would watch movies that made me laugh, or I would, you know, I would do things that my heart really wanted to do, to allow myself to experience pleasure as much as possible and, and smile as much as possible and feel good as much as possible. So all these things on the physical level that we can do to feel good is really important. Um, and again, I have to say that if I didn't have the perspective, um, the, the spiritual perspective, I don't think I would have had like been able to feel good <laughs> because I had to feel at least on some level that there is a solution and there is a purpose to what was happening to me so I could relax and allow the healing to take place. So maybe I'm jumbling up things a little bit, but I'll try. Um, so thinking, visual, visualizing, also very important. Uh, telling yourself, you know, like Louise Hay kind of affirmations, uh, affirming, I'm healthy, I'm well, I'm, I'm healed. All these kind of affirmations that you can say in the present moment, those are both very powerful and helpful to your uh, subconscious. And I think, I think they also make you feel better in the moment. Um, they, they give you the sense, and, and that is an important thing, to have a sense that you have a lot of power in your healing process, that you're not uh, helpless, that the mind does influence the body, and you can do things to help your body heal. So, so using uh, affirmations is very good. And then meditation is also important because it allows the body to rest. You kind of help your chatter, the, the mental chatter, uh, calm down, go down, and then your body can have a lot more uh, space to heal. So, so yeah, so all these things. Um, and then on the spiritual perspective, this, again, I feel is very, very, very fundamental uh, and I'll, I'll try to explain it like this. So if we can understand that our experience of being in the body as a separate part, exactly what medicine tells us, right? That it's like we're this machine and there's statistics and you have certain chances to survive. And the fact that you got this illness, it was by chance. There's just a statistic that says, you know, Five people in a million will get this illness and it just happened to be you. That's just, you know, bad luck. That's the statistic. This sort of mentality, this is a mentality that in my mind causes suffering because we experience reality in a kind of cold way and we feel like, you know, we just lucked out in the big, you know, ball game or pinball or I don't know what it is, this kind of roulette, right? We got the bad card or whatever. And I think we have to change this perspective. I think we have to shift our mindset to see that reality, it's its completely purposeful. And there is nothing that happens anywhere in the world that it has no purpose or reason for happening. And that we are not just this separate 
body disconnected from anything else. We are connected to everything else. And when we experience any adversity, whether it's an illness or, or, or something in our relationships or abuse or, or any of that, it's an illness that is not only ours. It's a problem that is not only ours. We are experiencing something that is part of the whole human experience. And we are given this experience because it's, it's as if, you know, we are chosen to go through this experience, this healing, so that we can help the whole body of humanity heal. We are taking upon ourselves a small piece of healing. Because this is actually one thought that I think a lot of people have. They have this question of why me, right? Why are other people healthy and, and why did I get this? I had this really strong feeling. I felt almost ashamed that I had this. Like I felt really embarrassed. I, at the hospital, I would see psychology students that used to go to university with me and they were there as intern psychologists learning, right? And I was there as a patient and I felt really embarrassed and ashamed that I was in this kind of weak place. And I think we have to, to shift that thinking and understand that when we go through something like this, it's like we're chosen because we are a piece of the puzzle that actually has some sort of uh, role to play for the sake of everyone else. And, and we're given this experience so that we can heal. And, and by that, we aid the healing of everyone else. There's something that we need to do in order to strengthen everybody else. Um, so to go back to that idea that nothing is a coincidence, nothing. Every experience that we have is a lesson. This life really is like a big school, right? It's, it's not material at all. It's all energy. We're all one thing. And we're constantly being given these experiences in order to help us grow towards higher levels of consciousness and ultimately towards, you know, ultimate bliss, ultimate pleasure, ultimate love. Um, and, and all of the hardships and all of the pain and all the things that are difficult are only the opposite of that higher state that we have to experience so that we can learn what that positive state really is. If we didn't have the opposite, we wouldn't know. If we didn't have the dark, we wouldn't know the light. It's just the essence of of our world. The whole world is created as a kind of game so that we would experience the opposite state of that which we need to receive. We need to receive love and, and light, but we can't feel it unless we have the opposite experience, if that makes sense. So if we can shift our understanding of, of adversity uh, into uh, gifts, just like you're doing here, really seeing it as gifts that are being given to us to help us have the tools to receive more from life. If we didn't get the adversities, we would stay small. We would stay kind of obtuse from the greater reality, from the, the greater sense of self that we have to achieve. We wouldn't be able to perceive. If, if we didn't have adversity, we wouldn't learn what we have to learn. So the more that we can have that sort of thinking, the easier it will be to go through um, anything. And I think we are not meant to go through anything alone. The more that we have support from other people who can remind us of this, who can uplift us in these states, again, because we're connected, um, the, the greater, the easier the healing will be.
So I feel like I'm I'm saying a lot here, so I'll stop for now and let you ask. So in my book, there's a section called Black and White, and my counselor told me if there's no black, there's no white, and like the white is brighter next to black. That's what she said. So I totally agree with you. Now, what my question, I know you shared about the tools right now. So after going through the bone cancer and all this treatment and surgery now, um, having this disability, how, what was your most discovery about spiritual awakening and a calling that you felt for the purpose on this earth? Yeah, I just, you reminded me of what I wanted to say before, actually. So there's something interesting about cancer, um, which I've heard from different teachers, different spiritual teachers, that this specific illness, it has a, a very uh, interesting and specific meaning to, to us as human beings. Like there's no coincidence that this illness is so prevalent and so difficult because it really signifies the whole transformation that we have to undergo as human beings in our conscious evolution journey. So if you think about cancer cells, what they are in the body, they are cells that have become disconnected from the body and they start to multiply and consume without any control, without, you know, without being within the harmonious, um, guidance of the brain of the body they just you know they just become out of sync with the system and what happens is they begin to multiply and 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 they create destruction in the body and finally they destroy themselves because the body you know they destroy the body which is their environment so cancer cells are really like um an, an allegory for the human ego because we as human beings, we are all connected. We are living in a world that is global, that is interconnected. Nature is an interconnected system. And yet the human ego is like a cancerous mechanism in the sense that it creates a sensation of disconnect from everything around us. We don't feel what others feel. We don't feel what, you know, the harmony in nature. We don't feel ourselves as part of it. And so humanity as a whole has been a very destructive force. In, in nature and in, in the environment. And of course we feel it as people who have been hurt by other people and nations, you know, waging war and other nations, so on. So so cancer is really like a, a mirror of humanity in that sense. And so the solution to cancer is also what humanity has to, to learn. We have to learn how to be aligned with this integral system that is all around us, how to be in touch with one another and, and to understand that we, as, a, as an individual cell in the bigger body of humanity, we have a role to play. We have to give something. We have a purpose. We have to be connected to everyone else with our contribution and only take what it is that we need. Um, we have to have an awareness of, our place within a bigger system. And then we also have to be able to receive from that system and to give and for there to be a harmony there. And so this disconnect between us, between us as people and between all of us to nature, this is what is being called to be healed in our times. 
this is why we're having crises that are so powerful, like COVID or like the climate crisis. This is nature's message to us that we are out of alignment, that we are disconnected. And so it's teaching us, look, you're connected. Look at this virus. It starts in China. It influences the entire world. Look at the climate. Nobody's immune to it. Every, it's all one thing. It's teaching us that we are one. It's teaching us that we have to be um, connected, not just externally, but also consciously. And so this is really the, the healing that the whole world is, is undergoing. Um, and, and so I really see the parallels here between this illness that has become so prevalent in, in our physical bodies as a kind of mirror to our general state of being as, hum, as human beings. And so I want to say just one last thing here, um, going back to the tools. If I, I didn't know it when I was going through um, the cancer treatments then, but I think today the best thing for people to heal would be to get themselves into a group of people who want to evolve consciously and create that kind of connection, that kind of mutual support, kind of... Um, uh, this is the this is what I study. I study the wisdom of Kabbalah, and this is the work that we do in groups, where we're really training ourselves to come out of our egos and to be able to think of other people and feel other people just as we do ourselves. And this this is a kind of the higher level of consciousness that we're working to achieve. And so I, I'm certain of it that if we create such environments for people where connection is the goal. This can really also help with physical healing because, again, it's it helps us to quicken the pace of change and then we can alleviate a lot of suffering. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. So, Tal, I would like to ask you the last question on the podcast, which is a gift that came from it. You kind of mentioned it, but if you can eloquently say what is the gift that came from your adversity. Sorry, there's a little kid here. Hey, okay? Sorry. Um, yes. So good to be a mom with uh, mom problems. Um, gift. Gift. I think the greatest gift. Yeah, you know, the greatest gift is the um, is really to be able to live life not from the perspective of, you know, the physical material alone and to know that there's so much more and this life is so much more and there's so much hope. There's so much possibility for us. Uh, there's so much to us that we don't know yet. So many levels for us to discover that want to be discovered. Now in our times, this is the time for us to really shift and, and to make that quantum leap in, in our in who we are. I mean, there's so much adversity in the world. There's so many problems in the world. You know, there's so much suffering. Uh, and, and yet it's because, you know, we have to reach that darkness before the dawn. And today that dawn is closer than ever. And then the more people awaken and have this knowing and, and, and understand the process, understand what is being asked of us, how to come out of ourselves, to connect more, to bring that light into our experience then the faster it will happen. So I think my greatest gift was really the ability to step out of that normal path 
uh, that society, you know, was just kind of indoctrinating me to think that this is what we, why we're here. We're here to, to be born, you know, go to work, go to university, have kids, you know, uh, retire, travel, and then you die and that's it. So expanding my scope of who I am and why I'm here is to me the, the gift that was given, giving me a, a whole new kind of access of development in my life. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Tal. So we are going to close this podcast, but um, I just want to appreciate you for your time and vulnerability of sharing your experience today. And for our listener, we are trying to normalize this difficult conversations, and then this is a gift for you and then for our next generations so that you don't have to suffer and then we can bring more solutions to these adversities. So thank you again. And then we have more guests coming in for coming month. So look forward to that. Thank you again. Thank you, everyone.